Welcome to The Behaviorist with Work Wisdom, where we help you adopt high-performance mindsets, behaviors, communication, and culture. I'm your host, Kimberly Pfeiffer. Our intention for The Behaviorist podcast is to share accessible, concrete practices that you can weave into your whole life to begin a shift toward joy and meaningful achievement. Today, we're turning our focus to the Enneagram, and more specifically, Type 1s. We're grateful to have with us today Wes Reminder, Director of Operations at Godfrey, Selena Almanzar, Visual Artist, Graduate Studies Professor at Drexel University's Westfall College of Art and Design and Tech at Franklin and Marshall, and Mike McKenna, President of Tabor Community Services. Welcome, the three of you. Hello. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah. All right, before I ask all of you some questions around the Enneagram and Type 1s, Let me first give our listeners a quick overview of the system of the Enneagram and Type 1s. The Enneagram is an ancient system that identifies nine personality types as a gateway to self-awareness and understanding others. It is a tool to understand and explain human behavior, looking at the motivations underneath those behaviors. Really, it's the why of what we do. What I love about the Enneagram is that it can help bring our unconscious habits, patterns, and motivations into our consciousness, basically into our awareness, so that we can become healthier. Not only does it help us have this self-awareness as an individual, but ultimately it helps us begin to have this awareness of others and their motivations, which allows us to be more compassionate towards them. Today we are focusing on Enneagram 1s. We call these the perfectionists or reformers. These are rational, idealistic types who are principled, purposeful, self-controlled, and at their lower levels, perfectionistic. They are conscientious, dependable people who bring clarity and order to life. However, their belief that there is only one way to do things correctly can sometimes make them rigid and intolerant. We hear some chuckles in yes, the background. Yes, true. <laughs> so just in case you're wondering uh, what a type one might look like, let me give you some famous ones that you might recognize. Joan of Arc, Mahatma Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, Margaret Thatcher, Michelle Obama, Martha Stewart, Jimmy Carter, Meryl Streep, and Jerry Seinfeld. It's a good list. Yeah. So you guys are in some good company yeah, there. that's right. I think I say that with every number, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, enough of me talking. Um, Let me turn it over to the three of you and just kind of open up the floor to tell me a little bit about what it has been like, I guess, first discovering that you were a type one, discovering kind of the type one type, and then also um, how you've maybe seen this oneness affect your life. I don't mind going first. Um, Probably because my journey uh, with type one has been interesting. I just found out about it um, about two months ago through leadership coaching here at Work Wisdom. And so this is all brand new to me. Um, When I first knew that I was gonna take this test, I was a little bit of a skeptic. I thought this is gonna be a generic personality test that anybody can take. Um, And I was actually quite surprised at the end because it was actually really right. Mm -hmm, (laughs) Um, I found it exhausting actually because when I left the, the coaching that I was doing here at Work Wisdom and talking about the, my type oneness, as I walked back to work, I thought, this is some really heavy stuff. You know, this, is, this is some pretty serious um, things to talk about, like anger 
mm-hmm. which didn't mm-hmm. feel very good to me right. to talk about that. But um, I think that it helped define me as a person. It gave words to what I've already known about myself, which was really, really helpful. Yeah. So the discovery has been really interesting and really fun. It's kind of life changing and altering because it also makes you aware of not just your own oneness, but then the fact that there are lots of other people and types and they all have their own way to be talked to. And that was a really key thing for me was to hear that, yeah, there's you can talk to people in lots of different ways. I just think that I'm always right. <laughs> but um, I think the other thing that I found as I went through um, learning about my oneness was that uh, I've evolved, right? So I feel like the 20-year-old self that was a one was probably a little less healthy. Yeah. Um, but as I've gotten into my 40s, I feel like I'm a lot healthier and that I've gone from maybe into the average, high average and healthy ones, which has been really good and been really, really helpful. So my discovery is uh, just beginning, but so far really helpful. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Wes. Yeah. Yeah. How about you guys? Yeah, I actually really relate to your experience, Wes, because I also only very recently discovered my type. But when I took the test, I also scored very high in type three. So we were sort of talking about this earlier where I I kind of feel guilty thinking I'm a type one (laughs) because I'm like, am I maybe a type three? Am I a bad person for thinking I'm a type one? Which is a very type one thing to do. So then I'm like, okay, (laughs) yes, I am a type one. Um, So there's that piece. And then I think for me, it just confirmed a lot of my perfectionism growing up. But I also feel like I've been in this moment over the maybe the past year and a half where I'm trying to let go and not see things as black and white. And I've been using that language, but not realizing there's like this whole package that it can come in that would make everything else that I don't see make sense. Um, so that's been really, really helpful. And then I think there are like maybe some of the less healthy parts of being a type one that come out after learning this, so I'm like obsessively trying to understand every single detail of the Enneagram, (laughs) which is great for, I call it productive procrastination, because I'm doing something positive. Um, But then there's other pieces where like, I'm not as ashamed of being like hyper-organized or wanting to have a planner or wanting to make sure I have everything in line, because I'm like, that's actually just who I am, Mm -hmm. and not like a, a negative part of me. I also think that I was recently, confirmed a diagnosis with um, uh, high functioning anxiety. And for a long time, I thought my anxiety was a flaw or like something that some terrible thing must have happened that I don't remember and that gave me this anxiety. Mm. But then on the other hand, I'm like, no, this could be a superpower and I can reframe this as some of this is just my type one personality traits and I can access other parts of my type or other types that um, right. could make me feel healthier. And I know I'm a one wing two, too. Okay. So I feel like that that changes or gives it a little spice mm-hmm. th- yeah. besides just being type one. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks, Selena. Yeah, no problem. I, I think for me it was a, a similar experience, uh, sort of having a new set of language to describe the way I viewed the world and the way I engage in my work. So I have been involved in work related to sort of rectifying the wrongs that have affected people who are vulnerable in some way or have had their rights infringed upon in some way. 
um, really sort of had that awakening in high school um, after a service trip in Camden, New Jersey, and then went back to my suburban prep school and just had this sense of like, something's wrong here. There's some inequality present here. Um, and that's kind of where the anger that's the dominant emotion for the one comes to play. For me, sometimes it's quite productive in the sense that I do draw some energy and inspiration from that, sort of mm -hmm. the, like a righteous indignation mm -hmm. type yeah. of, of anger. But I've also noticed where it's shown up in ways that are not particularly helpful and can actually be destructive to relationships, sometimes directly related to that sense of, you know, there's a, a right way and there's an injustice here, we have to fix it. So I distinctly recall, to your point, Wes, um, when I was in college, after having some time working on the US-Mexico border and coming back and friends who would make jokes about mm. Mexicans, I would blow up. I would just find mm -hmm. that completely unacceptable, yeah. even if it was somebody's birthday party, which happened. Um, <laughs> and it's like, hmm, that's going to your four and not particularly healthy or helpful way of dealing with that. Um, and I think now as someone in my 30s, I have a, a way of, of drawing on other emotions and responding to that and needing to draw on the experiences of others because the reality was I had had a really intense transformative experience others in my friend group hadn't, and it was unreasonable to expect the same sort of uh, seriousness and, and intensity of feeling about that issue. Um, likewise, there were things that they certainly were passionate about, and maybe I wasn't as present for them because I was wrapped up in, in the sense of, mm. of um, concern for the issues that was passionate to me. So um, it certainly sort of made sense that this is, oh yeah, this is like, I do operate from a place of gut. I have a mm -hmm. pretty strong sense of sort of ethical boundaries in mm -hmm. my leadership. And, um, and that's a good thing. I think that's an asset. But I think the really important thing is that I'm always soliciting the perspectives of other people on my team mm -hmm. who will view uh, the same issue with a couple different lenses that ultimately will give us a conclusion that's probably a stronger one for the organization as a whole um, as opposed to maybe that initial sort of response. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Um, and thank you, all three of you. I'm just sitting here listening, kind of blown away at how you're all so um, nicely articulating what it's like being a type one. And I can really tell that each of you has sort of taken the Enneagram and dove into um, what it's been like for you to be a one. So thank you so much for being here and sharing so openly with um, me and with our audience. So let me go, I think I'm gonna go in the direction of your dominant emotion because I've heard all three of you mention anger and when one of you has mentioned it, the other two have been furiously nodding your heads and shaking your heads. <laughs> so it seems like there's some energy there. So let me give our listeners just a bit of structure, reminding them that um, eight, nines, and ones are in what we call the body instinctive center. And so you really know things in your body. You sort of know things in your gut. When something happens as a one, you're often asking, what can I do about this? What do what will we do about this? And then with that, there's a dominant emotion of the eight, nines, and ones, and that's anger. And so for eight, nines, and ones, we say that they do anger. However, remember for ones, it doesn't get expressed directly as anger because it's not perfect to either feel angry or to externally show anger. So for ones, it actually so shows up as resentment. We say that's anger that lives in your heart. So you tend to uh, stuff your anger into your heart. Sometimes it comes out as resentment towards others, but oftentimes it also gets turned inward towards yourself. Um, to, we also have talked a little bit about this inner critic. 
So with that setup, feel free to talk about um, anything I just shared and how that might show up for you. Yeah, well, I guess I'll go again first, but I, I feel like that was the one thing that just didn't sit well with me was this anger description because I didn't feel mad. I don't feel angry or mad about things. Um, and so really for me, what it was, was trying to figure out what branch that you just kind of mentioned I fit into mm-hmm. uh, from anger. And I think that what I found was what you just described, which is dissatisfaction with mm. the outcome of whatever it is that I've done, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And it's really strong. It's a really strong, it's always kind of there. Um, at my agency, one of the things that I get to do is to train people, and I absolutely love training people. When someone comes up after training, they will say, hey, that was great, that really helped. In my mind, my inner critic says, if I had just put in that extra slide with those other bullets, it would have been even better. Hmm. Um, Interesting. In my personal life, the way that shows up is in my car, right? I love to clean my car. I love keeping it as perfect as possible. (laughs) And so I go somewhere and someone says, ah, it looks brand new. And in my mind, I say, if I had just put some wax on that back (laughs) panel, it would have been even better. So it's always this constant, how can I do this better than I did before? And I think once I found that spot in the anger branch, I felt like this made sense to me. And then also just in being able to take a compliment. Mm -hmm. I don't take compliments for Mm -hmm. anything. Um, We talked about evolving and how I've evolved from the time I was 19 to the time that, you know, now that I'm over my 40s. Uh, That has not changed. (laughs) That is the one thing that's constant. Um, I just need to learn to say, thank you you very much. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that take it and just and just own it. So that's really hard and and I think that there's a sense of seriousness that I take with everything that I do. If it is work, if it is training somebody, if it's cleaning my car, whatever it is, there's this sense of seriousness. Mm-hmm. So I've really got to do a, a better job at being able to a take compliments and just say thank you and then just let go of all the seriousness. It's not always so serious. Yeah, right. yeah. that's a great growing edge for ones mm-hmm. is everything's not so intense and serious all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I totally relate to that too. Um, so late the past two years, I've been a community-based artist in um, Culleton Park. And part of the pro- project was just to like help people understand what the renovation process was. But in my very type one way, I was like, there's so much injustice here. I need to address it. So um, I had a lot of freedom within the grant that we had for public art, and I decided I wanted to talk a little bit more about like this, just all the change that's been happening in the Southwest, the trauma that exists that has been really unaddressed in Water Street. Um, and then I had this like very clear vision of how I thought it would happen. So like we would do this, and then we would do this project, and then we would paint this mural, and then everything wouldn't be better because I know better than that, but we would have like some sort of direction and none of that happened. (laughs) But we did do the projects and they were really messy and I had to learn to let go of a lot of the expectations that I had set up and also embrace the idea that like, I have a very clear way of how I would do things, but I'm very bad at communicating how exactly I want other people to do it. So I can't get mad at folks for doing it the way that they know how to do it. And that's been like one of my biggest growing edges, I think, because it shows up just as a professor in any other way, because then I blame myself. Mm. I'm like, if my student didn't 
answer the prompt correctly it's because I clearly didn't write it correctly and wow. it's on me to yeah. fix that for the next group of students but the next group of students is going to be different and they're so I've been trying really hard to like understand that in the context of being a one so there's some again like some language around where we are and then I think something that Mike said earlier was the blowing up and going to your four is something that I do (laughs) and I hate to admit it Um, but I think in my initial conversation with Kimberly we were talking about anger and resentment and I was like I don't hold grudges I don't have resentment but I will never work with that person again. (laughs) 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 So I'm like, oh, crap, I do. Um, And I think just being... a secret blacklist. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Where I'm like, oh, who did that project? Mm, Not going to their opening. Um, But I think it's... Now I can laugh about it in a different way than I think if I had just continued to ignore it. Um, So I I think there are other pieces that... About, like, learning about the Enneagram and learning about your type that I'm starting to try and integrate. So I'm like really invested in social justice and civil rights and trying to figure out how are the things that our society, how our society shapes us and systems shape us, and then how our types interact with that, that maybe we can talk a little bit more about Mm, um, in the future. But I think that's kind of where I've been in terms of understanding how to utilize even the negative as Mm -hmm. a tool to move forward. Yeah, Yeah. that's wonderful. I can certainly relate to, to both what Selena and Wes said uh, particularly the inability to accept a compliment. It's like <laughs> usually a quick follow-up with like a self-deprecating mm-hmm. comment or Always. deflecting to somebody yeah. else. So like, well, no, I like what you did. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so that's something I've definitely been trying to pay. My wife always calls me on She's like, just say thank you. <laughs> I'm like, it is hard. <laughs> um, but I think that the self-critic has been one that I've certainly struggled with the past year. I, this is, I recently wrapped up my first year as an executive director. Um, and there's so much additional expectation mm-hmm. and I think pressure that comes with that. I realized a lot of that was self-imposed than it is, say, from my team or my board. Certainly, we all want the best for the organization, but there's certainly moments where if something doesn't go according to the sort of perhaps more ideal version mm-hmm. that was in my head, it's like, well, that's my fault. I, I'm the one letting the team down. I'm failing in this area. And it's like, hmm. Mm. There's a difference, I think, that's important between the self-critic that leads to self-awareness and actually truly Mm -hmm. growing and the self-critic that's just tearing you down and making you feel badly Mm -hmm. that doesn't actually lead to growth. Um, And so I've been trying to find ways to distinguish between those two. um, And some of the ways that I've done that have been to ask myself questions that uh, both Kimberly and Kedron have Mm -hmm. posed in coaching sessions, which is, What's going well recently? What have you noticed is going well? Uh, and then the idea is after you share that, you go a level deeper and say, well, what role do you think you played in that? What was mm. your behavior that perhaps led to that positive outcome? So instead of the more natural uh, approach, which is here's where I can tell you all the ways I didn't live up to my expectations in the past month, mm. you start with this positive and say, oh, yeah, I guess I did shape that in a way that was beneficial. Um, and then you're hopefully repeating that pattern over and over. Um, it doesn't mean you ignore the areas where things didn't go as well, but you are having more of a sense of your strengths. The other thing I think I do um, just on a personal level uh, has been to, to notice that um, as a one, I have a tendency to have a high standard for other people in my life. And oh, Kimberly yeah. had shared in our debrief 
that ones are really influential on family members, especially their children. And I have a three-year-old, almost three-year-old, and a 10-month-old who I just love to death, they're the best, um, but wanted to make sure that I was really uh, attentive to their needs and not maybe somehow projecting like expectations for perfection on them. Um, and so that's been really something that I've worked on and we're just like celebrating all the things that Maggie's learning to do and all the things that Annie's learning to do and how, you know, Annie's crawling now and she's learning to do things for herself and, and Maggie is potty training and we're just like really celebrating this. And, you know, in, in a situation where you might be tempted to be like, you had an accident. Why did you have an accident? Why didn't you tell? You're just like, oh, it's okay. It's no problem. We're going to do it again next time. Um, and, you know, just like totally shifting sort of that, that um, mindset and trying to be very intentional, which I'm sure a lot of parents do it. But for one, it probably takes that extra level of discipline than, yeah. than perhaps one of the other sort of dominant uh, personality types. Um, and another thing that she and I do together every night before bed is we, we say, what are we thankful for today? Mm-hmm. And I think that gratitude exercise helps me tune down the self-critic mm-hmm. and really focus more on these positive things that are happening. Um, it seems to be a, it's a healthy exercise for both of us. Um, and it's fun. She's got her list down. She's like, Mommy, Daddy, Rudy, which is our dog. Uh, my teachers, my friends, my cousins. And um, so she's just like, oh, goes through it every she's time. I'm like, that's great. I mean, what else? You, what are you? I was like, maybe your grandparents. <laughs> Otherwise, it was perfect. <laughs> um, but for me, it's really like a nice chance to be like, yeah, these were good things that happened. These were positive things that happened. Mm-hmm. These are things I'm grateful for. Sure, there were things that maybe weren't perfect, but let's let go of those and let's hang on to the good ones yeah it's really interesting you said that too about the way you started the coaching sessions that we had as well with what's going well and it took me a second I was like what's yeah what's going well (laughs) I wasn't expecting you to ask that it was a lot easier to come up with a list of stuff that I needed to be fixed and need to be worked on Mm -hmm. Uh, but to come up with the what went well was was a hard one and also I think I liked the fact that you talked about projecting um, your oneness on other people right Mm -hmm. and I think that as I've become, uh, have a team of people now that report to me and work with the agency as a whole, it's really important to be self-aware to not be putting that on somebody else. Like, I don't expect you to be perfect. Mm -hmm. This criticism is about me and just being able to find that line in the last, just in the last few months has been really interesting and and a challenge. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's great. And it's ongoing. It's It's always daily practice. It's every single day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as I listen to you all talk more, um, I'm really drawn to, again, this theme that all three of you just shared was this intense amount of pressure that you put on yourselves. And I think, Wes, you started the whole podcast out talking about how exhausting it can sometimes be to Mm -hmm. think through some of this oneness stuff. And as I hear you, I'm like, yeah, that's really exhausting. So what I love about the Enneagram is that it's not here to put us in a box and to say, you're a type one, you're only a type one. The beauty of it is to say, look, you're a type one. Now here's some other numbers that you can go to and get behaviors that can, you know, very easily be expressed in unhealthy ways. But more importantly, you can go to those numbers and get the healthy ways they express themselves and get healthy behaviors. So I would love to hear, you've all actually touched on it already, but I would love to hear how you each feel like you maybe go to a four, which remembers the individualist, has lots of feelings, but is very authentic, can be a very deep person. And then also the seven, that's where you go in security, which the enthusiasts, they are very lighthearted, can just walk through the world in a more sort of playful, optimistic way. 
So I'd love to hear um, if any of you have thoughts on how you go and access some of the behaviors of fours and sevens. I think, um, so this summer I went to Stanford University's D School, the design thinking school, um, which is very much like a seven thing to me because it's all about like embracing crazy bold ideas and then thinking about practicality much, much, much later in the process of designing something. And that's a very simplified way of talking about it. But um, going through that process and learning a language around some of the community organizing and visual, like community-based visual art that I had already been doing was really helpful. And then to discover Enneagram and get really invested in it. And then to also discover that I can lean into seven Mm -hmm. has been this really cool, like full circle moment for me. So I think as a visual artist um, and working really low on the ground with community has allowed me to move into seven a lot easier than I think maybe five or six years ago where I took everything too seriously and was like, there's only one way to fix it. We vote, we get people into office and that's it. (laughs) But now I'm like, no, there's like a lot of really graceful and beautiful ways and creative ways that we can move on the ground. And I think it still has the core values of, of me wanting to um, seek justice and fix the world, quote unquote, but it also allows for this plurality of ways that we can do it and allowing folks to come with their whole selves rather than with the self that I think that they need to, to bring up. And I think that's been a really liberating space to be in. So I feel like maybe if we had ta- had the conversation that we had around my type, um, a few years ago, I probably would have felt a lot more resentment around it, oddly mm-hmm. enough. But this time around, I feel like, okay, I'm open to learning all these new things about myself and trying to quiet the critic a little bit more. Um, and I think it's just been a really beautiful moment for me and like a space of movement for just like being around so many of my family members. I'm one of seven. So talking wow. about this with them and then like trying to understand the pressures that I might have put on them and trying to be more open and being like, you know, like you don't have to hide things from me because you think I'm going to judge you for it because I won't anymore. <laughs> I'm a changed person. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Christmas morning. Yeah. <laughs> so, which is, it's, but it's been really cool because they're like, oh, okay, now we can talk a little bit more freely and be a little bit more honest. And I think that's been really great. So I've been really feeling into the seven lately. I haven't really explored four as much, um, but I'm interested in what that looks like too. Yeah, and you naturally seem like you have a little bit of that four there um, Mm. because fours have a deep sense of creativity. Yeah. So I love that you naturally are sort of in that world already Mm -hmm. on your day-to-day basis. Yeah. I think for me the work in the four that I've done is really tried to access the higher levels where you're expressing more emotions than just sort of the initial resentment or anger. Um, So sort of examining, okay, well, why am I really feeling this way? Mm. Like, what's underneath that? Um, is there something else that, that I can explore? Maybe it's sadness, maybe it's insecurity, maybe it's anxiety, whatever it is. Let's, let's surface that and then go from there. Uh, the other thing that's very characteristic of ones is that we tend to be verbal processors. Um, I think this podcast (laughs) is a a testament to that. Um, And that's something that I have done for a long time, but now I can, like, give people the disclaimer in advance. (laughs) And I have sort of this, like, this circle of people that I trust that I can process with, whatever that issue is. Um, And then during that uh, conversation, really trying to Mm. be in tune with some of those broader emotion sets. And then usually at the conclusion of those conversations do feel... Mm-hmm. a lot more sort of at peace with whatever the sort of 
initial event was that might have been upsetting in some way. Um, and I think on the, the seven side, it's like noticing when you're in the seven and celebrate that. Mm. I think as a, uh, when you're in the self-critic, it's like you can stay in that space. But when you are really feeling that sort of fun, loving and creative side, like notice it, pay attention to it. It's sort of in line with that comment I made earlier around what's the reasons for that. Like try to look for some of those ingredients that are leading you to feel at this higher level where you're more at ease and, uh, you know, easy to get along with and, and look for that, that pattern that hopefully you can, you know, be in that healthier level more often. Yeah, I know uh, Kedrin is a one, and she would. I don't think I have a problem me sharing that with everyone. Um, but she often, you know, in our work days, she'll be like, okay, who's a seven, and how can I channel my seven? How can I channel that person as a way to handle whatever's coming at her in the day? And I just, I think, oh, that's a really neat way to work with the Enneagram is mm-hmm. how can I channel this mm-hmm. this person or this sevenness? Mm-hmm. And I think when you're trying to do some of that verbal processing with others, if you have people in that circle who you know are a different number on the Enneagram, like go to that person mm-hmm. because then they can help sort of rub off on you in a way mm-hmm. that helps you start to replicate. Like I know a few other leaders who are sevens and I'm like, mm. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to lean on you here. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think that for me, I just, I'm such a critic of myself that I do a lot of self-reflection mm-hmm. and part of that just means um, letting stuff go and being compassionate to myself mm. which I don't do a lot of and I think that when I go to a spot of this is okay that it's not perfect this isn't an A mm-hmm. this is a B and that's just okay which is a really hard thing for me to do but I think that in me doing it at least I hope that the people that are around me in the office and at the agency, they will see that, oh, okay, it's not, it's okay too. And I'm not rubbing off on I expected you to be 100% perfect. So I think it's, for me, it's going to a place of um, how can I be okay with my inner critic and how can I dismiss that? And then what will that do to people on the outside and when they interact mm-hmm. with me? So if I'm okay with myself, that hopefully others will come and say, oh, okay, this is, this is all right. Mm-hmm. So I've really been focusing um, on that a lot because I think the other thing too with me is that if I go to the unhealthy spot and I talk and I go and look at the thing that didn't go right, so the project that was on budget but not under, Um, so if I go to that spot, I can really get in a cycle Mm -hmm. there. And so it's really important for me to maybe just put on some Taylor Swift. You need to calm down (laughs) first and then just give myself a little bit of permission to be like, it's okay. You Mm -hmm. still did a good job. Nobody else even noticed. Um, and also not let that delay anything else. Right. So not let that hang up stop me from progressing anywhere else that I could because I can easily do that where uh, I haven't done something perfect so I'm not going to start anything else until mm-hmm. I've unraveled this. Mm-hmm. I've got to yeah. figure this out but once I've figured it out then I can move forward and so mm-hmm. that can be really um, that can really slow things down and so it's just a, to me it's a little more of a, an inner thing for me just to be it's alright 
it's okay. Yeah. I'm just going to keep moving. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. wild that you said that because I have so many unfinished art projects. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm like, but that drawing. Yeah. It's not it's, done it's yet. Right. And I can't yeah. finish. And it's my own rules it, yeah. that I put on right. myself. Right. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my God. But then I, I think something that you said, Mike, that I resonated with was that I totally forgot about was the verbal processing. Because mm. um, even as a kid, I would like, this is probably TMI, I'm sorry, mom. But um, so my mom would be like anywhere, including the bathroom, like on the toilet. And if I had an issue, even if it was like, just as a super little kid, like this puzzle is not fitting right, I need to talk it out. Or as an adult, like, I don't understand what this mortgage means, I need to talk it out. I will find her and sit in front of the door and talk to her until I felt better. (laughs) And she's always accepted this about me, but I never realized that that's weird. And also, <laughs> I need to acknowledge that it's part of my personality, my type, or whatever. And with my fiance, he understands that about me and quickly picked up on it because he was like, You talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to process things verbally. Yeah. So that was really, that's another liberating moment, I think, for myself. Right. Yeah. I, I, I cherish the walk home from work because mm. I do walk to work and back. And it's really that time afterwards, which is kind of like mm. you that I call up my partner who's really great and really supportive and totally gets me and can really help me. Mm-hmm. Um, I can I spend 10 minutes and I just can just do a download and a debrief. Yeah. And it is so good for me <laughs> mentally that by the time I'm home, we can just move right. on. Mm-hmm. But it's such an important yeah, thing yeah. for me. It's Those just to be able to say really it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and most of the time, he has no idea what I'm even talking yeah. about. It's not the point. Yeah, my mom <laughs> so. always goes, are you talking at me or do you want to talk with me? Right. And then if I'm like, I need to, need to talk at you, she's like, all right, cool, I'm yours. And I, I love that about her and I, I need to start like embracing that too myself. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of yeah. like automatically jumping to advice for folks that also are verbal processors. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, you all are sharing such healthy and helpful behaviors as I'm listening kind of throughout this whole podcast that's one of my questions I was going to ask but you've already touched on so many good behaviors that are helpful for each of you so I think um, I'm actually going to ask our final question to wrap things up today so take a moment and think about one or two things that you just absolutely love about being a one and then if there's anything else that you would like listeners to know about ones that you just think is really important for them to know and then uh, we will close our time together today. Great. Well, I'll start again. Uh, Michelle Obama is actually a one, and that was really cool for me to hear mm-hmm. when you mm-hmm. went through this <laughs> and mm-hmm. talking about her, and I thought, wow. And I went and did some research on her, and uh, she has a quote that I love, and it really helped me put a very positive spin on one, and it was, you work hard for what you want in life, your word is your bond, and you do what you say you're going to do. And I love that because mm-hmm. it was a really positive spin on how I view myself, which is I work really hard to make things go right, and uh, I will stick to my word, and I will get things done. And it was a really cool, inspirational thing. Um, for me, I work in an agency with almost 90 people, and people from all kinds, all over the Anagram come together, and we are creating ideas that we're, you we're getting out to the, to the world through our clients. And it's really important that my role in there is actually recognized as well, which is details matter, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when the team is concepting and talking about things, my role in that is the details. So I can make something happen from high-level uh, concepts, we can put those into actual um, into an actual execution. 
So for me, through Michelle and through all the things that she's done that's been so incredibly positive, I found a little bit of, of hope in there that was like, this is really good. I do work hard and the details matter. Thanks, Wes. Yeah. I think a phrase that you used in our initial debrief on the one was really something that stuck with me, and that was that ones are guardians of doing things the right way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I liked this notion, both the idea of, of being a guardian, like protecting something that you care mm -hmm. about, something that's usually important and worth protecting, um, and doing the, the right thing or doing something the right way. It's, it sounds uh, maybe judgy or mm. uh, rigid, but I think um, in our experience, it's often something that is not just about ourselves, it's about our client or it's about a partner or it's about um, an issue in our society that's really something that is um, worth looking at in a serious way about could it be more equitable, more fair, mm -hmm. um, more accessible, whatever that issue is. Um, and so I think that's something that you want on a team. You want somebody who's always striving mm -hmm. for the better versions of ourselves and better versions of our teams and better versions of, of outcomes. Mm -hmm. And I think that is something that is really powerful for a one. Mm -hmm. We look at a situation and we're gonna be able to start deciphering what those key components are that could be stronger, could be better, could be more fair. Um, and that, I think, helps the whole team you know, rise to a different level. Yeah. We need to check those instincts sometimes, but <laughs> we really do bring a, a, a powerful uh, sort of way of viewing things that mm -hmm. can, can deliver a better outcome for everybody. Yeah, yeah, that's really well said. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking, too. I think of it as, like, almost x-ray vision. Like, I can walk into a space or walk into a situation, and now I feel much more comfortable knowing that I'm not just judging folks. I can just envision exactly how to make this better or strive towards justice or be more equitable. And I think that in embracing that has been really important for me and trying not to, like, I think all of my life being called a perfectionist, developing like shame around it, I'm trying to like un unpack a lot of that. Um, and I think that's probably where most of the work for me personally needs to happen, but I also feel like it's a lot more liberating, again, knowing like, oh, there's a, there's a language for this and I can like lean into this instead of just getting stuck in a cycle in my head, being like, oh, you did it again, you were judgy. <laughs> But um, I think that that like x-ray justice vision is probably the biggest superpower out of all of us. Yeah, yeah I agree with the perfectionist thing. t-shirt. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I love the perfection, the, 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 what you just talked about, because mm -hmm. I don't like the word perfectionist I either. <laughs> I like performer. I do too. Because I, right? yeah. I, like, really. um, I feel like I'm there to try to make things better and different. Mm -hmm. Not to be perfect. Exactly. Mm -hmm. there and I think is it no scares perfect. people away too. I <laughs> yeah. think it scares people when right. you hear perfectionist. Mm -hmm. So I try not to use that term. I really like reformer much, much I do better. Too. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. All maybe that's a, a shift we need to make here at Work Wisdom. I try to use both, but maybe yeah. just take out perfectionist altogether and use reformer. Mm -hmm. um, well, thank you again for thank just you. all of what you shared today and especially these strengths of ones. I also see them in each of you and I value each of you and what you bring to the world. So um, thank you for sharing that with me and with our listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That is all the time we have for today. 
So for listeners, um, if you'd like any more information about the system of the Enneagram, I know it can be a lot and it can be overwhelming just listening to a quick little podcast. Um, but some of the places we got our information from today are Suzanne Stabile and the Enneagram Journey podcast, Beatrice Chestnut, Riso and Hudson from the Enneagram Institute, Hunter Mobley, and Helen Palmer of the Narrative Tradition. Thank you listeners for downloading The Behaviorist, and we hope you'll subscribe. Please reach out to us through our website, workwisdomllc.com, where you can enjoy Work Wisdom Press and Productions, ask questions, and make suggestions of topics you'd like us to explore in future episodes. As is our custom, we'll leave you with some one-minute wisdom from Anthony DeMello. There is only one cause of unhappiness, the false beliefs you have in your head. Beliefs so widespread, so commonly held, that it never occurs to you to question them.